It is Wednesday, November 20th, and that's right. We still don't have an intro. I'm sick of all the lights. I'm not playing the instrumental anymore, and I haven't picked a song. So, fuck it. We're just going to get right into the show. We're going to do it live. Fuck it. We'll do it live, and we're just going to get into our interview with Joe Stanek. Joe TSA gave me a terrific interview. My current and new powerlifting coach, sorry, Lane Norton. I found something better. I moved on to bigger and better things, and he gave me a really great interview. Talked about pretty much everything you would want to talk about with an elite level coach. Uh, you know, how he got to start in powerlifting and fitness, and how that led into him coaching under the strength athlete. And the ins and outs of coaching athletes, um, very similar to the Matt Cronin interview where we talk about some frustrating things we see, some really great things we see with coaching athletes. And, you know, we threw in some segments in there as well, got into word association. But before we get into the interview, of course, I got to talk to you guys about Rivalus. Guys, girls, visit Rivalus.net, use promo code ANGELO15 and get 15% off of your pre-workout, creatine, protein, branching amino acids, merchandise. Use that promo code ANGELO15 and you will get 15% off. Also, visit 2 buy some merchandise, get yourself a t-shirt. Also, subscribe on iTunes, five-star rating, leave a review as well, follow us on Spotify. Here he is, Joe Stanek. And as promised, I got with me via FaceTime in his car because he's such a nice guy and wanted to get this interview on the man I am putting my powerlifting career in his hands, Mr. Joe Stanek. How the fuck are you, dude? I'm pretty good, man. I, uh, I just finished uh, my first day of prep for my own meet um, in a pretty good mood despite it being a really dark 6 p.m. or almost 7 p.m. here in California. The sun's been going down way too early, but uh, that can't affect my mood today, man. After a good workout, I don't know. I always just, I tend to feel good, so. Not only is it dark, it's cold as hell and windy and rainy, so, you know, at least you got California weather. Yeah, we, my, my girlfriend and I were actually just complaining that it's been like a super hot winter here. <laughs> it was 93 degrees today. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. well. We might get that. Who the fuck knows? Illinois is bipolar with weather. But first question I got to ask, who is your favorite client and why isn't it Ricky Cho? <laughs> okay. My favorite client. Damn. Put me, <laughs> really putting me on the spot here. And why isn't it Ricky Cho? Ooh. Um, it's not Ricky Cho because he, uh, he told me that he was going to make weight for his meat and then he didn't. Um, I didn't know that happened. Well, I mean, he, it, it was a, according to him, it was a conscious choice. He didn't want to push the water cut. Okay. Uh, so he didn't, uh, yeah, he didn't make weight for that USPA meet that he decided to do. Um, so as far as favorite clients go, oh God, I, there's, there's so many. Um, I would have to say my favorite client at this particular moment is my guy, Corey Royal. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you met him at nationals, but Corey, he came to me with this this big goal of making it to nationals, real like well below the qualifying total, and he was one of those people that kind of just said to me like, "I'm going to do whatever it takes." And you know how powerlifters are; mm -hmm. they're like, "I'm going to do whatever it takes." And then a lot of them, unfortunately, just due to life, whatever, they don't always follow up on it. But I'll be damned, he did it, and he made it all the way to nationals. He he got the qualifying total via like the regionals bid, uh, just did everything right, and uh, that guy. 
despite it being like you know almost impossible he added he needed to add like 300 pounds to his total in a year he did it plus he, he got me some free shit for for my desk so that you know that that adds some brownie points okay so you're saying what i have to do to become your favorite client is give you free shit and then go way yeah, above and beyond what's expected of me <laughs> yes absolutely you that's just, that's know. not that hard i can just yeah. send you i could send you rival shit now i'm wearing the hat massive <laughs> ad placement right now even though no one could see me because it's not a podcast it's not video recorded and we'll see on the 300 pound increase total hey hey you never know man i've seen some crazy stuff uh i mean like for example uh you use dead well you call him you call him Mixu, but uh you use deadlift at, at nationals like i had no idea that was gonna happen but you know, crazy, crazier shit happened. So. Yeah, I always said you can't accidentally. I, everyone is telling me like, you know, you should try for 740. I'm like, hey, dude, I'm not gonna accidentally lift weight one day. I'm not gonna accidentally be strong. And then people are always like, well, Yangsu pulled 749 kind of out of nowhere. I'm like, uh, yeah, you're right. So maybe you can be accidentally stronger. Funny story about that is three weeks out from nationals, he failed I think 722. Mm-hmm. And, and then pulled that. On, Jesus. On Jesus Christ. Well, actually, you know what? Let's let's get into this question now because we'll get into, you know, your journey in becoming a power lifter, your journey in fitness, and be, then later becoming a coach. But I got to ask because I ask you, one, the client question as a joke. Ricky, we love you. I love you. I just had to do that to fuck with you for a little bit. Um, give, him, give him a taste of his own medicine just for, just for a second. But I, I'm curious, how how do you approach, say, someone like Yangsu and then someone who's like, barely trying to qualify for nationals is it more of a challenge to get that person to qualify for nationals or is it more of a challenge to get someone to break an all-time world record Ooh, that's difficult um you know i i would say that my approach to every client is is pretty much the same just in that i try to get them to have tangible goals and then Mm -hmm. we just kind of work backwards from there um I think that for for anybody who's trying to reach a goal, like you can't just go at it willy nilly, and it's practically the same system both ways. I guess where where it differs is just the way that that people motivate themselves to do so. Um, you know, you can take somebody who is barely qualifying for nationals, and they can work hard as hell and be able to to achieve that goal. But you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't want to put the work in that all-time world record is not going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a matter of, of supporting them in the way that that they need as, a, as an individual, and that's kind of something that I'll, I'll work on with them over time. You know, there are different people that, you know, like to be coached differently. It's just like it's like any other athlete in any sport. You know, mm-hmm. there are some people that, you know, they just clearly have a ton of natural talent and they just need a little, like, push in the right direction. There's a ton of people that have a lot of natural talent that have no idea what they're doing and just need – all the guidance in the world. And then it's, it's the same for people that aren't necessarily as talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a good person to ask because you have a wide variety of clients, but you know, if you went to raw nationals, I saw you coaching and handling a ton of lifters and a lot of them were on that primetime stage. So, and a lot of them time, a lot of them were in the regular session too. So it's a wide variety of people you coach and a lot of the, co- the lifters you coach are really, really high level. And we'll get to more of the specifics of your coaching later. But first, ask this for everyone uh, comes on Two White Lights. Give us your origin story. How did you get into fitness? How did you get into powerlifting? Oh, yay. 
I, I feel like I'm at the start of a Marvel movie. Yes. Um, so uh, my, my journey into fitness and, and powerlifting and all that kind of started when I was young. Um, I, I was a heavy set kid. Um, I, I actually really didn't like sports a whole lot. I wasn't super, well, just like powerlifting. I wasn't super naturally talented. Um, but I, uh, I had a friend, um, Brandon, he was a football player who, uh, he did powerlifting in his off season from football and he, he tried to just basically get me into it. And he's just like, just do this meet with me. So I was 13 years old and we started lifting. And I, I always remember like my first workout, I had the bar in like a high bar position and I was just like my, my, like it was crushing my neck and I was complaining about neck pain the whole time. So I was like, I'm not doing this. This isn't happening. Um, but he kept trying to get me to come back and eventually I just kind of fell in love with the training. Uh, and then because raw wasn't a thing back then, uh, I got in the gear mm-hmm. and man, did I hate that? Oh, wow. Not, I mean, I respect equipped lifting. I respect equipped lifters, but it was just not for me. Um, so, but I, I saw it through, I went to the meet, I did the, did the meet, uh, it was like, ah, this isn't really for me, but it did kind of get me active and into sports. So from there I transitioned into fencing, um, which is cool. I mean, you get to fight with swords mm-hmm. uh, and usually uh, the common, the common trajectory from power, lift, geared powerlifting is fencing. Oh yeah. That's, yeah that's, I heard like Louis Simmons did that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I ran cross country in high school, mm-hmm. uh, and then decided that running was terrible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I kind of got back into, into lifting around then and, uh, made it a goal to compete in bodybuilding. Um, from there, uh, I worked pretty hard on, on like improving my physique. And then, uh, by the time I was a sophomore in college, I had decided to compete in bodybuilding. And then, uh, after that, uh, I kind of started to see the, the trend of raw powerlifting, um, come back up again. So, uh, nationals, uh, was in Colorado that year. Um, and I decided to, to go check it out and decided that I wanted to do it, uh, the following year. So, uh, after my after my bodybuilding show was done, I went immediately into into my first raw nationals prep, uh, and I've just been in love with the sport ever since. Um, and I've just been I've been competing and uh, eventually coaching uh, ever since that that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've said before that it takes one passion to compete, and one passion just to do it. Going to gym, hit your lifts, but it takes a whole nother passion to coach because. Where I'm just lifting and competing, your free time is pretty much being dominated by clients and, you know, thinking of programming and that stuff. So how did you get into the, the coaching aspect? So I, uh, when I got into college, I originally went in as uh, an English major because Ooh. in high school, <laughs> that was uh, that was just the, the only thing that I, I really enjoyed. And I, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. So I, I was actually going to be a teacher. Um uh, professor, hopefully, because um, you know, professors cooler, uh, and they get paid uh, like a shit ton more. That's yeah, that's very true. Like that's insurmountable. True. <laughs> um, but I shadowed one of my professors and was like, okay, this is just boring. This is a lot of grading papers and just stuff I don't really want to do. Um, so I, st- I kind of stopped denying the fact that I really wanted to do something with with you know fitness or, or in some way. So I'm just like, okay, physical therapy. You know, you get you get to major in exercise science and you get paid the big bucks. And then I went and shadowed that and was like, okay, these are a lot of really like older people that are, are in a lot of pain. I don't think I want to do this either. Um, so I just 
at the time, um, Eric Helms, uh, I don't know if you, you know of Eric, but oh, yeah. you know, he's yeah, uh, 3DMJ was seriously, like, one of the first things I watched on YouTube when I started lifting. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, Eric Helms and, um, I always blank on his name, Alberto, Alberto. Nunez. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I've been watching their content like crazy because, you know, I was bodybuilding at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then I became aware of Rice. Um, and I was like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, you know, all these guys are, you know, they're, they're building a career off of coaching other people in this thing that I love doing. And I was just like, you know what, if, if Eric Helms can do that, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that that was kind of my, my original inspiration. Um, and so I, I got into, into the exercise science major and I needed an internship for my degree. Uh, and so I, at this point I was, you know, prepping for powerlifting and I was like, why not reach out to Bryce? Because he was, you know, he was one of the the, the first people that I was kind of like re-exposed to in the sport. Um, and obviously he had a relation with 3DMJ because Eric Helms is his coach. So I sent him an email and lo and behold, somehow he's like, wow, yeah, that sounds really cool. Let's get a, let's get a Skype call in and talk about this. And so we Skyped for about an hour and a half. He, he asked me about my, my training history and what I was doing. I explained to him how I was prepping for, for nationals. And, and he was like, okay, yeah, this sounds really cool. Um, so from there, he got me into uh, co-coaching an athlete with him. And uh, every week I had to do a, uh, a research review for him. So I had to, had to pick a paper and pick it apart and basically say how I would apply it to, to a client that we, we might have. Um, and from there, I did that all throughout college, uh, and from there, a position opened up uh, right after 2016 Raw Nationals. Uh, one of the one of the former TSA coaches left, and uh, I was the first choice. Well, maybe not the first choice, but you know, I, I put it out there. I, I asked Bryce. I remember I was I was so nervous because I was rooming with him for 2016 Nats, and my hand was just like shaking, and I'm like asking him for a job basically. <laughs> and uh, thankfully, he and the guys said yes, and and it's been it's been a blast ever since. Yeah, and I, in my opinion, and I'm not saying this like politically because I'm now under the coaching tree, but the strength athlete TSA, in my opinion, has the best coaching tree, um, starting at the top, and then it just has grown where the most reliable coaches seem to come from there. So, is that like the vetting process of it? Is how do you really get involved with coaching under Bryce? Uh, it was a little bit. It was a little bit different uh, for Hanny and Eric. Um, as well as the other two coaches that, that used to work for TSA, but uh, they all they all got hired on in, in various parts. But I, I believe the first person to come on was Eric, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it was just out of necessity because Bryce started TSA as as his own thing, and he was just getting so much inquiry that he just knew that he couldn't take uh, enough people on. So uh, he I think he he came in contact with Eric and hired him, uh, and then he knew Hanny because Hanny used to be coached by Alberto. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he talked to him, and obviously Hanny, Hanny was competing a lot more back then, too. So they were all sort of seeing each other at meets. Um, and I believe, you know, over time, uh, just because Hanny and Eric were both new, Bryce was kind of supervising them. Not, not in the same formal way uh, as I was, but, you know, he would, he would just kind of look over their stuff just to make sure that they were sort of, um, you know, doing the right things and, and, you know, making the right calls. And it's evolved to the point that, you know, they're – obviously some of the the best coaches in the organization i mean 
Eric and Hanny both have been on the, the world team staff for a few years now. Uh, Hanny is now the head coach of the junior team. So it's uh, it's a different process for everybody. Um, but it, it just kind of depends. I was definitely the, the first and only of official intern. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess I just got lucky with the with the timing with one of the, the other coaches leaving. Yeah, just something that hit my curiosity due to the fact that so many elite level lifters come out of there and there seems to be some level of like, they're just through an observer's perspective, which that was me for a long time, was like, oh, there seems to be like a tree going on. And it seems like they preach the same stuff. So, yeah, generally just curiosity. And the, and what you said, like picking apart a research paper and doing that internship kind of thing, it's obviously detailed and calculated too. And, yeah, that's what coaching should be, people. Detailed, <laughs> calculated, and organized. Oh, yeah, man. There's there's a lot more, like, practical nuance to it too that kind of came over time. Um, mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to have, uh, you know, a few, few powerlifting friends that before I – became a full-fledged TSA coach were, were nice enough to let me coach them uh, probably before I should have I'll be honest um, but you know they were they were nice enough to, to trust me and I was able to you know get some of them to, to nationals to perform really well um, I actually my, my longest standing client uh, Jimmy uh, is a friend of mine who went to college with me and he actually came down to Scranton from Syracuse to come watch me compete at Nats and was like oh I want to do that and uh, he um, he actually just did nationals uh, this past year, and after all this time working super hard, we finally got to the uh, the Arnold this year. Oh, nice! Which, yeah, it, so that's been that was kind of cool because he he worked with me like long before I was even a TSA coach. So that was that was really cool to see. Yeah, it's awesome, and that's and it that's what really it had a major contributor in dictating who I got coaching from was the fact that it's like okay, TSA, well known. Uh, great lifters come out of there and all the coaches are extremely reliable and I've only heard good things from them and of course I, I shared a story before I probably twice that I met you at Raw Nats in the warm-up room cool guy I'm like yep I could I could trust him and uh, get some coaching from him so considering I'm your client now here's a new segment in 30 seconds say as many nice things as you can about me okay you gonna time me yeah okay you have you have a glorious mustache thank you um <laughs> You uh, you have the most creative, non non normal yet good deadlift stance that I've ever seen. Joe Sullivan uh, said the same thing. <laughs> he said it's the yeah. wonkiest fucking deadlift he's ever seen, but it works, and he doesn't understand why. Exactly. Um, you take you take instruction very well, which I like. Uh, not a lot of people at your level can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you somehow uh, are unable to gain weight despite uh, eating all the things, which is definitely a good thing. Um, you have a great taste in sports teams. Mm, okay. <laughs> I think you do. Well, I, I mean, I technically think I do, but the re- yeah, and yesterday we were supposed to interview. I was watching the Bears fucking suck, so that was awesome. It was just I would have been distracted and throwing shit on my TV. Hey, man, I'm a Steelers fan, so you might imagine how I feel after this week. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, like the six Super Bowls you guys have. It's such a hard time oh, being a Steelers <laughs> fan. <laughs> yeah, tough you, tough life, man. Yeah, um. And uh, your your uh, your wonderful Italian last name gives me good feelings. I don't know if you know, but I'm I'm half Italian. I did not know that. Yeah, man, Fernelli is my mom's maiden name. Mm, that's nice. Yeah, 
for some, well, here's the thing. If you hear an Italian last name, you shouldn't trust it. But I've gotten a lot of job opportunities because of my last name alone. Like, Angelo Fortino. Sounds pretty interesting. Let's interview him. All right. That was 30 seconds. Now I'm a client. I need to take criticism. 30 seconds to say as many mean things as you could say about me. Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, you, you apparently didn't take enough time to realize that your feet weren't set correctly in the squat. Um, you ran PH3, which is, and I quote, the most injury-prone injury, <laughs> injury prone program that I've ever seen in the entire world for however many years. Um, let's see. Uh, you deadlifted and squat shoes for the longest time because mm -hmm. you didn't realize that you weren't supposed to. Um, you apparently don't own deadlift socks. Uh, what else? Um, oh, God. Uh, you, you probably could give me a few more notes on your training. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, God. I've only been coaching you for, like, what, three weeks now, so this is, this is kind of hard. Uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe you need to eat more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna Those are all fair things. In in all in all encompassing thing, I'm ignorant and uh, and kind of stupid. And um, I've said that on the show many times. So I knew all those things. But spin zone to the PH3 thing, I didn't get hurt. So does that make yeah, me the most I, not injury prone person in powerlifting? <laughs> Knock on wood. I'm not saying that again. Maybe, man. But I I don't know. Like every single person that I have talked to that has run PH3, that has either even if they weren't coming to me for coaching for whatever reason has experienced like some form of, of rather cr either chronic or major injury. Um, I, I don't know that that program is just crazy. All mm -hmm. the AMRAPs, just everything. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I've mentioned this before that me and my friend ran it at a gym, just a commercial gym, me and my buddy, Brian, um, we were big, you know, Lane Norton guys. Uh, what, cause when I was watching three DMJ stuff, Lane Norton was always like kind of linked in and, his videos on nutrition were actually some of the most helpful videos I've ever seen. And then when he started going more in exercise science, like things started clicking a little bit. So we both popped on the program and then we started seeing great results from it. And more and more people from a commercial gym in Darien, Illinois started doing it. And we just saw so many injuries in a short period of time. It was so many personal trainers trying to do it. And then they just couldn't get past week four you know, regular gym bros doing it and completely altering the program. So I did not know how injury prone that program was. And it hasn't changed since everyone I've talked to who've tried to run it, run some sort of altered version of it that just doesn't work or they just get hurt anyway. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like my, my opinion on, on any, any like standardized program, if you're going to run it, run it as is. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it's probably not worth your time. Yeah, I, I don't anticipate like Lane thinking that people would take it into powerlifting meets. I really don't think that was going to happen. I like that he anticipated that happening because it was on bodybuilding.com of all places. Right, exactly. So the fact is on bodybuilding.com, it's like this is a good way to put on muscle and put on size and strength and all that kind of stuff. But don't think that it was going to be someone's program for the rest of their powerlifting career. And I mean, all, all good things must come to an end, right? Yeah, for sure. And I was, I was obviously ready for that end. But yeah, that was, that was a good segment. I might ask all my guests to come on to just say mean things and nice things about me for thirty seconds. Okay. So, I, uh, yeah, I reached out for you for coaching, and immediately I, I, I mentioned on the show the video that you sent me was like awesome and it answered all my questions, and I just knew at that moment that it was a good fit. But 
I'm, I'm always uh, curious about this. Has there been a moment and there's been moments where, you know, people reach out to you and it's like, this is not going to be a good fit. This is, have you ever like pushed people away from your coaching? Sure. Um, I don't think I'll say this. I, I don't think there's ever been a moment where I've um, like not immediately like been like, no, uh, I haven't, I haven't experienced that yet. Um, but I've got, I think I've got two good examples. Um, the first one was just one person who, uh, just kind of refused to check in with me. So um, this was this was a uh, a girl uh, who I don't know. She she was like a semi strong lifter had had won a few local meets that sort of deal, um, and she she just didn't feel like checking in was necessary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know I, I I you know I send her a few emails and and she's like yeah I'm fine whatever. Um, and then you know it gets to the end of a, a few blocks. And she's starting to complain about, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not making the progress that I want. And I, I don't really like the program a whole lot. It's just like, well, if you're not going to check in with me, I, I wouldn't know how, you know, I, I don't know how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and then she, she just kind of proceeds to, like, send me this wall of text email on how I'm, like, doing her a disservice and, and I'm, I'm a terrible coach and all this other stuff. And it's just like okay, you know what, if I'm a terrible coach, uh, you, you don't need my, my coaching anymore. Mm. And that was, that was kind of how that went. Um, and then the other example uh, would, this one was a little bit more dire. Um, it was somebody who just essentially took the programming that I had um, and was actually uh, using it to, uh, to basically give, gave it out to all of their, their friends. Okay. And they were, they were kind of, so it was a group of, I think, five or six people um, who, who were all running this program. And I found out about it basically because one of them messaged me and said, Hey, I'm running the program that so-and-so, uh, has along with him. And I'm like, what? It's just like, yeah. And and I ended up getting, getting hurt from it. Is there, you know, do you have any advice on this? And and I'm like, this is the most poorly orchestrated scheme in the history of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a 93 kilo lifter. Mm-hmm. Uh, this for this program and the guy the other guy who was running it was like 145 pounds um okay. not that not that like i, I don't think it, you know if you change the one rep maxes it wouldn't be too terrible but you never know like it just depending on what kind of lifter you are what level you are differences in in programming you know it could it could really mess somebody up so mm-hmm. i i just I, I messaged the guy and was like look i'm i'm not coaching you anymore if you're gonna be sharing your programs with your friends that's just that's just irresponsible um but yeah i've never i've never really had a huge you know like infighting with any of my clients or anything like that um we've you know we've definitely had some some disagreements on philosophy and Mm -hmm. you know there have been times where like I'll, i'll even admit that i've been wrong as far as what i think a client could would be use would be useful for the client in terms of either form or or the way that the program is done but like if you're if you as a coach have so much of an ego that you can't admit that then you're you're doing not only yourself a disservice but the the athlete that you're working honestly it with all those different situations if if the athletes had been a little bit more honest with me and just kind of talked with me a little bit more we could have avoided something like that so that's that's kind of one of the major things that i look for in anyone that i'm working with is just good communication skills talking to me about how they're feeling uh and being 100% honest with what they feel needs to be done. Yeah, and that's a surprising a surprising aspect that you mentioned because I would what you pay for in coaching 
I necessarily won't put it under the programming, even though that's extremely important, is those check-ins, is that communication you get with someone because it's constant like, okay, you use the example with my feet, which they are, in fact, in the wrong position. Like, oh, you told me how to, you, you told me about that. Now I know that. And then you had an in-depth conversation with me about it and how to fix it and what we could do going forward. That's why I am paying the money that I'm paying is to get that sort of communication that I would not get under my own coaching or under free programming. Um, and yeah, neglecting that is bizarre, especially if you are going to pay that money. You're yeah, doing yourself I, a disservice, not the other way around. Yeah, man. And it's, it, it, I, don't, I don't know. It, it honestly, it really bothers me sometimes um, because, and I mean, any budding coaches out there that might be listening to this, my first advice is like when somebody doesn't want to buy into the process of your coaching, don't necessarily take it personally. But I mean, sometimes you can't help but, but take it a little bit personally, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, you know, you, you put a ton of, and this is, this is my biggest thing with all of my athletes is I try to put as much of my energy as I can into making them the best possible version of themselves that they can be on and off the platform when it comes to powerlifting. Um, and when I don't get that back in return, that's, you know, that's a little bit disappointing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that they have to make powerlifting their whole world and they need to be the perfect athlete, but you know, just, just, just buying into the process and doing the, doing the things that you need to do in the gym and out of the gym, just to have a, a good, uh, good prep and good relationship with powerlifting in general like it's it's not it's not a lot of work to do that yeah oh yeah absolutely i yeah i agree with you 100 percent um yeah to send an email you know that's that's pretty much what like you're just not willing to send emails or you know have like a facetime chat every month or two weeks or something so yeah, yeah. surprising surprising stuff and also in the second point you mentioned um is that common or is that more common than we think because i've always I've always had, and I got to be really, you know, wise with my words here, um, depending on who's listening. There has been a suspicion with me that, you know, someone gets a coach and then it's like, okay, now it seems like they're coaching other people, but like they're getting a coach from someone else and it seems like they're doing the same exact thing that person is doing as they're coaching. So is, is that more common than we think, or at least I think? You know, I would say... I would say it's probably 50 50. Mm-hmm. Um, see, it, there, I have no problem with people who, who want to be powerlifting coaches. Like, I, I have some athletes that want to be powerlifting coaches as yeah. well that I, that I, I work with that they take, they take what I give them and you know, they, they learn and they adapt it to themselves and they, they use that. That in my opinion is how you become a good powerlifting coach. Like from the coaches that I've had and, and the mentors and including the rest of the TSA guys, um, you know, I've taken little little tidbits from them, and I've I've worked it into my own system of, of how I coach people. Um, but to straight up copy people, I think it's definitely a little bit more common than you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think it's like super. Like I don't think it's 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 a a huge problem. It's yeah. it's probably just like the tiniest bit more common than you would think. But you you definitely do see it. Um, you know, when certain people will. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll get coached by, you know, ex semi Instagram famous coach for however long. And then all of a sudden they're offering, they're offering coaching. And if you look at any of their lifters, it's just like, oh yeah, that programming looks a little bit similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's, it's not the worst thing in the world because I, I guess you can take it as a compliment, but it's, it's, if it's literally a copy, then you're, you know, 
not a good idea. Yeah, and that's how I think with uh, Matt Cronin, uh, when I had him on the show uh, last week, we talked about just the way you become a coach and not necessarily with like the exercise science background and going to college and getting a degree in it is getting coaching from other people, being a student of the sport and constantly learning. I see no problems in that. And then most of great powerlifting coaches and competitors have coaches themselves. And um, I know you have a coach and then most people, you know, powerlifting coaches have coaches as well. So that is one way to get coaching, but like the, the you getting coaching and then, you know, maybe your friends are like splitting the pot or something like, okay, here's $30 here, $30 there. And boom, we have now have a $30 program from a high level coach. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not on board with that and just, yeah, find that a little fucked up. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it was, it was just really, it was really disappointing uh, at the time because the, the, the athlete. Uh, was doing really well and it, it was just it was unfortunate that he was just basically like handing this program out to people and, and then just at, you know acting almost almost like a coach I don't think he was he was intending to coach these people it was more like they were sort of following along with them but he was kind of acting like it like telling them what to do that okay. sort of deal yeah. um, he really had no idea yeah yeah that's uh yeah, that's a problem. I would I would not coach that person anymore if that happened so kind of on the flip side to that um because those will uh, potentially be, you know, intermediate or advanced lifters. But has there ever been occasions where you had an elite level lifter come to you, and then you just saw it's like, okay, I got to completely pick those people apart? Ooh, um, <laughs> uh, definitely, definitely you, you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if you go back and look at uh, his deadlifts before we started working together versus now. Um, there's there's a rather stark difference. Uh, he, I mean, he was a, a yanker of a, a puller um, as far as just like didn't know how to take the slack out of the bar. Um, was just convinced that I mean he's I, I love the guy, but he still doesn't have the full idea of how his deadlift works. But um, just basically he he was just yanking on the bar like crazy. Basically just doing this honestly really unsafe uh, like semi sumo type deadlift that. I mean, it worked for him because, genetically speaking, he must have the strongest freaking spine in the world, uh, and bicep tendons, for that matter. Um, but over time, you know, it was stronger for him at the time, but I kept telling him, like, you know, we've got to make these changes because even though you're not going to be as strong now, eventually you're going to be stronger. And now, now, I mean, mind you, he's training at 24 most of the time and um, not necessarily pulling on a stiff bar, but, I mean, the numbers that he's putting up now are crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a lot of, that's been a lot of work. Um, I'm trying to think of any other huge changes. Um, I did have uh, a gentleman from Canada, uh, Alexander Oulette, uh, who came to me, and he had this like super close grip, like just very, uh, just inefficient bench technique where sometimes his butt would kind of pop off. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to for for him. I literally had to break him all the way down to maybe like sets with because he he benched maybe like 200 kilos. Um, so maybe I had to break him down to sets of like a hundred kilos, do like tempo reps, um, and just get him to actually, you know, create leg drive and, and things like that. And it, it, like eventually we, we worked up to the point that he was able to surpass that, but, um, it was to the point that like his butt was just almost always popping up when he would do crazy high amounts of weight. So we had to really, we worked, rework that a whole lot. Um, I'll be honest, man. I, I, I would say that there's, even if we're not reworking 
the entirety of a lifter's technique uh, when they're elite. There are a decent number of elite lifters that are just super duper strong, despite the fact that their technique is not that great. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, sometimes you actually have to say to yourself, like, okay, you know what? They got here to this point where they came to you by doing this. Should you mess with it? And that's that's one of the the harder decisions that you have to make when you're working with elite individuals that have have odd tech odd technical i don't know what i would call that just out of the box technique yeah and i i've seen this before with high level lifters they have great totals they have but you could kind of tell that they're not quite understanding why they're strong they just know that they are strong so has there ever been a situation where you're you get a high level lifter um and you're hesitant to give those cues because of their status in the sport or their ranking them oh yeah absolutely uh i'm going through right now i i have this uh i have this really strong uh kid he's actually the the world record holder at 59 in the deadlift uh derek ning mm-hmm. i don't know if you follow him um i will now you, you should he, he deadlifts uh 606 at 59 okay uh, but he's he's moving up to 66s right now and and he's got a meet coming up in february and the guy is just he's super attached to benching with a belt and that's just for me. If unless you're like maybe like 105 and above, I just don't think a belt is super duper useful because it cuts down on uh, your ability to create a good arch. Um, it kind of makes you brace the abs in a way that's a little bit weird for the bench press. Yeah. I, by the uh, way, I stopped doing that. I know you told me to wait a week. I stopped doing it because I'm like, why am I wearing a belt in the first place? Then I thought about it. I'm like, I think I just did it one day. So yeah, I st- I know I'm a little. I'm a week early, but I stopped doing it in the belt. Oh, it feels well, good. Go. It feels yeah, exactly. I mean, it, oh, I mean, there's no, I don't. The belt wasn't helping me. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah, was I, that was the thing I noticed right away. I'm like, this belt isn't doing anything right now. Yeah, and and, and like I said, if anything, it's it's kind of limiting your your ability to create a, a decent arch. Mm-hmm. Um, but with so yeah, with with Derek, like he, um, you know, he's just very attached to benching with a belt. So I'm, I'm we're we're kind of slowly. You know, I'm, I'm giving him the same sort of talk right now where it's it's just like, you know, it's not necessarily going to feel great right away. It might, you know, it might feel great, but it, it's not necessarily going to. Um, and, you know, he's just, I'm hesitant because his bench training prior to coming to me had been going really, really well. Um, but I know in the long term, you know, as he becomes stronger, he's going to need to, you know, he's going to need to create more leg drive. He's going to need to get a more advantageous position in his bench press. Mm-hmm. But, um He's just—he's not going to be able to do that if he continues to wear that belt. So it's—it's it's just a matter of, of you know, just because something is going well doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. You have to be able to differentiate between those two. Mm-hmm. Is there ever like in battles you have to do in your mind, like you know, so they say someone has a great deadlift like Angsu already, you know, it's above seven twenty. It's like, okay, I have to make changes to this, but I don't want to mess up a good thing. Is there like an inner battle you have to fight? Yeah, um, that's, I, I mean, literally, literally every time I'm looking at a, at a, a high level, lift, honestly, not even just, not even just a high level lifter, like any, any lifter that is, you know, is doing well, but their technique is just bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's always an internal battle. Um, the story that I, I always tell when I, I'm talking about this kind of a situation, if somebody asks me is, uh, one of my, one of my lifters, former lifters at this point, cause unfortunately she doesn't power lift anymore, but, um, one of my lifters, um, had some, some really bad, 
um, knee valgus going on on one side of her her legs. Her um, uh, her there was a little bit, knee valgus is wrong. Hip shift. She had some really bad bad hip shift. Um, and I you know I didn't really think anything of it, and, and we were just kind of working on stuff to make the area of that um, the area that was shifting around strong. And everything was fine. Um, she was prepping for collegiate nationals. She did really well. She PR'd her total. Um, and then uh, a few weeks after, right when we started uh, training again, she was doing dumbbell split squats, and she completely tore her hip. Um, and that was just devastating to, to her and to me. And unfortunately, she doesn't powerlift anymore because of that experience. Mm. Um, and that to me is something that as a coach will always weigh on me because I always think, is there something that I could have done? Should I have been loading this technique for her? Um, so I, that scenario always runs through my mind every time that I see something like that, where, you know, ultimately it kind of comes down to, is this something that if we continue to, to load this pattern over time, that it may become unsafe mm -hmm. in, in a situation similar, similar to that girl. Um, and if, if no, then I might just continue to let them, let them load it that way. Maybe, maybe have some supporting, um, accessory work that's going to make anything that might be a little bit funky strong. Uh, but if it is something bad technically, then, you know, I, I, I have to have a conversation with the lifter where I say like, Hey, you know, we, we might not necessarily be able to, we not, you might be feeling good right now, but as you get stronger, um, you know, what you're doing with X lift might not be good for your long-term gains mm -hmm. and that's really that's a really hard conversation to have with lifters because you know they're they're just always about like the short term making progress blah blah blah, blah. they don't necessarily care how it looks mm -hmm. but it, it all it takes is just one little wrong movement that your body wasn't ready for and then you know something can tear or, or break or you know and not that i want to like you know fear monger people into it's it's not the worst thing in the world if you don't have perfect technique because yeah. let's face it None of us are going to always have perfect technique, uh, but it, it is something that, as a coach, you just have to be able to sit down and, and actually make those decisions for them. Yeah, and I think people neglect that. They're always thinking about stagnated performance. They're always thinking about not putting up the numbers they want because they're getting so attached to a ranking, which is good. For competitors, you want to be better than the next person. That's perfectly fine. But then when you put your career in someone else's hands and work with them, the thing that is in the back of their mind, which is weird, is injury. Yep. Is injury, and that is a very real thing that could happen. The fact that programming or doing doing a movement a different type of way could lead to an injury. And I think a lot of lifters don't really think about that. And as good as a coach, and it's – I know many, many – most of them are thinking about that, but lifters aren't thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that I – I would say as a coach, it's, it's probably, yeah, I would say that the thing that I worry about the most with any of my, any of my lifters, um, you know, you just like, you, you think you, you're doing everything right. And then, then all of a sudden it's just like, Oh, X thing hurts. And, and then, you know, you, you go downward. Um, something that I didn't tell you about with my, with my story is that I, I dealt with horrible, like horrible bilateral meaning in both knees. I don't know if you know anatomy, um, horrible bilateral knee pain for the majority of my powerlifting career. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I feel like that's kind of held me back. Um, so I, I, I kind of, when it comes to injury, I, I, I try to do everything in my power to keep my, my athletes injury free because I know 
for me how just how much um, how much frustration and and kind of I don't know I, I guess the word sorrow would be appropriate I, I've kind of felt around those injuries and I, I just never want my own athletes to experience that yeah the injury thing is a very real problem that could happen even if it's a minor injury and even if it's you know you're just getting in started in the sports because chances are if you're just getting started in the sport you've been at the gym for a while and it's something that you like doing and i've seen that before where an injury kind of happens and a person who's you know not not an ipf world champion not not getting invited to the u.s current open not doing any of that but they're like depressed because they can't lift the way that they were they're they were used to be able to lift and yeah, yeah that, that definitely has to be taken into account yeah, so it's. I feel like I'm telling the the powerlifting sob story right now, and just how terrible lifting is. There's a good side to it, I promise. Yeah, and you know, I think most people who listen to Two White Lights know that injuries are a real thing, and they happen to the best of us. Like, and if you don't know, now you know, and we're we're not. Yeah, it's not not sugarcoating shit for you. You put stuff on your back, and you pick up things, and you try to hoist things off of your chest. You might get hurt occasionally. Yeah, um, I can I can actually give some some practical takeaway for your for your listeners that I think might be useful. At least that I've found in, in helping prevent. Well, it doesn't directly prevent injury, but I, I've seen, at least anecdotally speaking, um, when working with athletes, this help. Um, and that is to have uh, athletes train in more than one plane of motion. Um, so. Uh, going to hit you with another uh, anatomical term here so as power lifters we train in the sagittal plane of motion so we, we move very up and down mm-hmm. um but we don't you know we don't move to the side or we don't um you know we don't rotate a whole lot in our training we're not very strong in those and it's usually when we have one of those weird movements that something tears or snaps or something like that so if there's one practical thing that that i think you're hopefully your audience can take away and maybe add into their own training is maybe just add a few movements here and there to make yourself proficient in those other planes of motion. Yeah. Um, because if you're, you know, at least somewhat strong in that, in that range of motion or, or that movement pattern, you know, like, uh, you know, as powerlifters, we extend a whole lot, you know, maybe you reach a little bit in your training. Um, if you can do those things, you're probably going to be a little bit less injury prone. I can't guarantee it. There's not there's not a perfect correlation, of course, but I would imagine, you know, it's always when you move a little bit weird that, that people end up getting injured. Yeah, I think any sort of takeaway or any information on how to not get hurt is going to be a useful one for regular lifters or two white lights or new ones. Don't get hurt. You can't put up a total if you're hurt. Yes. You can't get absolutely. on the platform. You know, people want to compete at Raw Nationals. Well, the qualifying total just got raised, but you're definitely not going to hit the qualifying total if you get hurt. Speaking yes. of Raw Nationals, that is where I met you for the first time. Um, and this is just something I've, I've seen, and that was my first Raw Nationals. Um, and I was a little bit overwhelmed myself of all the people and all of just the competitors and the, the pressure of the, the moment, too. Um, just in the warm-up room and all that stuff. So as a coach... How difficult is a big competition like that where you have a regular session, then you have a primetime session? By Sunday, are you just... Okay, um, so I, I should I should preface this by saying that unlike a lot of coaches, I handled every session. Mm-hmm. 
So there were three there were three sessions a day, including prime time, and I handled at least one athlete in every single session. Um, that's not typical for a lot of coaches, but my favorite part of the sport, believe it or not, is actually game day coaching. I, I love being able to be there with an athlete to see all of the hard work that they've put in come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, you know, I, I try to volunteer as, as well, I, I shouldn't say that because, you know, people do, do pay for me to, to coach them on the platform. But um, I like to, to be available for that for as many people as I can because it's something that I really, really enjoy. Um, it is it is an exhausting process. You you feel uh, just all of this like all these emotional highs and lows depending on how how the athlete is doing. Um, you have to you know you have to sort of navigate your way around the warm up room. Sometimes you have to be a little bit mean in the warm up room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a a good example. Um, I actually this is a, a funny story. I actually had three different people come and steal the collars from. Um, from the the rack that we were on at the time, uh, while we were in between warm up sets during one of the the last few sessions, I think it was the the ninety three kilo session. Uh, I witnessed you do that. That might have been my fault. I witnessed this. That <laughs> yeah. was during that was during my session. Yeah, because um, I was looking for the collar, and I was just like walk, and I didn't have a handler obviously, so someone else grabbed it for me, and yeah. then I'm like, oh, we got a collar. And then like. You guys like what? That that's our collar. That was we were using that just now. It's like oh, we're just gonna use it for one. It's like nope, put a two point five on, and it's the same exact thing. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I, I really didn't give a shit because I, I was just looking for one. But my next goal, my next go to thing was to put on the two point five black. Yeah, yeah, and I I honestly didn't realize that load was that load was for you. Um, but at, at the same time, like it's it's just really frustrating when like all of these sets at the start of the day. They have everything that you need if you just wouldn't steal things. Yeah, and because someone stole ours too, so it was like, and I, I was just looking for it. The next thing I know, it's on there. I'm like, okay, so, and then like, oh, we just stole another one. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. So it's it, that can be that can be a little bit um, that can be a little bit frustrating because I, you know, just by nature, I, I'm I'm generally uh, a nice person I, I try to be you know nice to, to everybody that I come in contact with but that's just one of the situations where it's just like no this is this is our stuff we're using it right now mm-hmm. uh, but yeah it's it's just it's exhausting by the time the the 120 plus session was going on I was I was running on fuse man I think I slept maybe an average of like three to four hours um, I was <laughs> I was pounding bangs all day just to like stay awake um, and I got, I got no sleep whatsoever, but fortunately, uh, you know, you don't need a ton of brain power to be able to, to load kilo plates and, and warm, uh, uh, warm lifters up. You just kind of have to be focused and, and ready to go. You know, you just, a, a single action kind of thing. Um, but it's, it's absolutely hectic. Um, but it is a blast. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to work with so many strong people this year, um, and, uh, you know, depending on how many people qualify for Florida, it'll maybe be more. I'm going to try to avoid coaching every session again this year, <laughs> but who knows? Um, we'll have to see. It also depends on if I qualify as a lifter myself this year. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how uh, – and you, you are a competitor, so we'll compare the two. Do you have to prepare in the same way for coaching someone on the platform as you would as just competing on the platform? Oh, no way. Uh, I would say they're completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, in in my in my mind, as as a coach, I'm actually more nervous than when I compete. Yeah. 
um, because I just, you know, most of the time, unless I'm handling somebody else's athlete, which I do sometimes, but most of the time, like these are, these are people that, you know, I've been working with them for however long I've seen all the hard work that they put in. And my heart is just pounding every time they're even like in the warm up room when they're taking their last few warm ups. I'm like, just thinking to myself, like, Oh, please be fast. Please be fast. <laughs> you know, it, 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 not that like, that's, that's totally illogical because, you know, obviously I've peaked these people and, mm. and I know they're ready to go, but you know, in the back of my brain, I'm just thinking like, what if it doesn't move fast? Uh Oh, yeah, but that's, I can say that's very similar to lifters too, because I put on say like 650 in the warm up room on my deadlift and I get nervous. Like what if this, what if this doesn't move off the floor? And then I can't, and then like that's my opener, and I can't do it. Or like I'm hitting six twenty in the warm up room, and my opener six forty. I'm like, what if I don't move this in front of everyone? And it's like, and then you have to get your mind the, the conversation in your mind, like you just did this a week ago in the gym for four reps. You're fine, you're good, but it's it is a mental battle that you have to play, and it's it is all, and I think it's illogical, but it's so common for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I. I you know, you kind of have to put that facade on when you're, when you're the coach, you have to just, you know, be there and, and just, just be, you know, just be as encouraging as possible. Um, you also have to, you also have to know your lifter too. Like some lifters, like for example, um, uh, I'll give a good example. So, uh, Denise Juarez, who's, uh, my 47 kilo junior that fortunately won the national championship this year. So that's, that's really cool. Um, she, uh, her squats were looking a little bit funky in the warm up room and Denise is very just like, like I tell her something and she doesn't. Uh, so I, knowing that I was able to tell her like, Hey, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit forward in your squats. I think it might just be that you're not locking your back in. And, uh, she did that on her second attempt on the platform. And I said, Hey, the same thing that happened in the warm up room happened. And she was like, okay, cool. I'll, I'll adjust it. And then she blew up her third. Um, so you have to be able to like, know like, okay, my lifter is, is this way. Um, versus like with myself, um, I'm, I'm kind of a, I would call myself a very extroverted lifter. Um, I, I, you know, I get, I get very excited. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like listening to, to like my favorite music. I'm kind of dancing, maybe singing along, um, that kind of deal. And like when I make a good lift, I get real excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like, you know, like a, I squatted, uh, 500 pounds for the first time at my last meet, which, you know, with, not it's kind of a drop in the bucket these days, but like with my knee problems, I didn't think that was going to be something that ever happened. And like I, you know, I freaked out. I was like, even after I got off the platform, I was just going yes, just constantly the for like the next five minutes. Um, so it's it's a little bit different for me there because I just I, like I'm not thinking as as that kind of lifter. I'm not thinking about cues for shit. I'm just like I'm going in there and I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, an interesting dynamic. Between, because just the amount of energy you have to put into coaching and then I mean there are people who compete on the same day and I'm sure you will too but it's it's a it's a whole nother battle that you have to play especially when you're and the amount of lifters that you have too it's like yeah. it's because I was just saying like I might just if I was a coach I might just forget that one person is going like oh shit I have to go on this one to warm up someone else and yeah, it's it's something that just strikes my curiosity a little bit. Yeah, it's that one. So handling more than one lifter at a time is also hectic. Mm-hmm. Um, I so I, I hand the most I got uh, this past year was three at the same time. I don't think I'm unless they're on the same platform. I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it was just, it was terrible. Fortunately, I had um, Eric LaPointe, uh, Kyle Power. Um, the two of them made things uh, so much easier. Um, and the, the lifters that they were helping me out, helping me out with made things, it just made things a lot smoother. But yeah. if I didn't have their help, I don't necessarily know that I could have been able to, to get all three of those girls going at the same time. Um, it's just with two lifters, even if they are on, on separate platforms, that's a little bit easier because let's say one's going out there and the other one just needs to be warmed up. You have to just kind of keep your eye on lifting cast on your phone or the screens or something like that. Um, you just, you kind of have to time it right. It's, it's, uh, it's just about knowing the number of lifters in the right in, in the lifters flight and kind of timing when they should take it. Um, and being ready early is definitely better than being ready late. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, also you unofficially handled me. I'm counting that as a handle that you called on my last deadlift. I'm, I'm qualifying it, so. I I still say that was the right number, man. You were you were this close. You just needed to literally, like, you were locked out up here. You just needed to lock your left knee, and you would have had it. Yeah, it was the right number. I because after seven eleven, I'm like, yeah, let's whatever needs to be done. Because at that point, I'm like, that's a good meet. That's a USAPL meet PR for me, not WP. Which that's the difference between federations. Because now looking back on my AWPC deadlift, I'm like. I still think it was a good lift, but they definitely gave me that down command pretty quick, where in USAPL, I don't think I would have got that down command that fast. And it was a deadlift bar, too. But it was the right number, for sure. Definitely wasn't like, what the fuck was that? Because when it came up, I'm like, boom, I got it. That was like the first time I was ever confident in something. When it broke the floor, I'm like, I got it. And then right when I felt my left knee not locking out, I, I actually thought my upper body wasn't locked out. Yeah, it, your upper body, I would say, was in a pa- from like looking at it from behind, was in a passable position. It was literally just that knee mm-hmm. that was not locked. Yeah, um, which sucks. Uh, but I saw from from holding it when your uh, when your squat shoe popped open, I was like, oh shit. <laughs> and then yeah, that's happening. A, that happened a lot recently. Is this my uh, squat shoe's been popping open? Like they're breaking from the seams now. Damn. Maybe maybe it's. Uh... Have you, have you told the world that we, we may be transitioning away from those? Oh, I mean, I'm on Two White Lights, but uh, definitely on my Instagram feed from now. And a lot of people are angry. A lot of people are upset about that. Um, and I've said many times that I'm not married to the squat shoes. I probably would have never done squat shoes if someone like yourself told me a long time ago that what I was doing was wrong and stupid and I could be a better lifter. I could have been manipulated so easily as a young lifter. If someone would have, if, if someone would have just told me like, do low bar, you'll be better low bar, do, you know, uh, do conventional as opposed to sumo, and if I trusted their opinion, I would have done it, but no one told me those things, and it, that's that's the benefit of coaching. That's what I was looking for, because all through my powerlifting career, I did APF and WPC meets, which again, love those federations, regret great federations. But I was winning quite easily in those federations. And no one was telling me shit to fix because everyone there was like, well, you're out totaling us by, at least in my weight class, 200 pounds. And then beating people by like 50 Wilkes points. They're not going to tell you what to do. Like, So that's where I needed that coaching was to actually tell me different things to change. Because my, after my first competition, if I would have came 14th in 14th place... Yeah, I would have been like, okay, what do I do here? What do I do here? And try to switch it up, but it didn't happen. Yeah, 
and the thing about technical mastery, man, like when it comes to lifting, is it is a it's a lifelong process. You mm-hmm. know, like your your technique for X number of years can you know can get you so far, and then you might be like, what if I try this, and then it starts feeling feeling great uh, in a different way, um, and then you never know, you revisit another technique years later, and it, it feels even better. Um, like I'll for the longest time, I was trying to bench with less of an arch because you know I just thought like you know maybe I might be better if I develop more muscle that way or something. Mm-hmm. And then I would, so I, I benched that way for a year and a half straight and I got pretty strong, but then I, I started working on my arch again, just, you know, getting some tips from a few really strong people who have good arches and my bench skyrocketed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it, it, again, it's, it's not a, it's not an on, on or off always kind of thing. Although I do think that between you and me, you're probably always going to pull better in flats. Yeah. I, and I, it's it, once we get above like 600 pounds then i'm really gonna feel it because right now it's weight that i'm pretty comfortable hitting with squat shoes and flats but just by standing in my position now I'm like oh, okay now i kind of see why flats are good um and now i understand why squat shoes probably one of the best thing to deadlift in um and yeah by the way if uh notori- anyone a rep from notorious lifts uh is listening right now send two white lights a pair of Slippers. That would be great. That would be <laughs> awesome. I would. I would love to try those out. Um, uh, the, or the or Emperor, I think, is, is his his Instagram handle. Wait, really? Yeah, the Notorious Emperor. I think. I know him. I'm oh, really? Demand that I get some slippers now. <laughs> yeah. He, he's uh, he's probably not the happiest with me. He was uh, uh, what call it? I was I was asking him all these questions about the the purple Notorious lift uh, shoes because I I love. Mm-hmm. And uh, I fell asleep uh, when the drop happened, and I woke up, and it was, and they only had the small sizes left, and I was so mad. Yeah, yeah I was, I was gandering through some of the the slippers this week, and yeah, cobbling down those deadlift shoes so I could still keep some clout, which it is the most stupid amount of clout I never thought I would receive. Right. When I started my Instagram page two years ago, I did not think. I, I did not think certain things will get more publicity than others. I just wanted to be a good lifter and then interact with power lifters. Something like a podcast or something was like, that'll be cool to do. Or like a clothing line. That'll be cool to do to like interact more with people. It was me deadlifting in squat shoes and my shins bleeding. I'm s- yeah. so and, – and, and throwing my belt places. Yeah, man. I, uh, I got to figure out how you do that. That's impressive. I, I mean, I sucked at a baseball player, but apparently I was good at just really short flips from second base to shortstop. So, there you go. I guess uh, I guess that was my calling card: not hitting, fielding, or running, just doing minuscule flips. I guess I was good at that. All right. So, I had this question come up on my page, and it's 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 a common question that's asked from a lot of people looking to get coaching or just coaches in general. Do you believe it is a necessity for coaches to outlift their clients at either one point of their career or during their career? Um, well, no, um, not at all. And here's here's my main reasoning behind that. Um, forget all like the the differences in industry and like you know comparing to professional sports. As a as a coach. Would you not want somebody who has struggled for every kilo that they put on their total? Mm-hmm. 
as, as your coach versus somebody who has it's just come supernaturally to him. At, for for me, I, I wouldn't say that like I wouldn't say I have poor genetics, but I definitely don't have elite genetics. Every ounce, every every gram, I should say that I put on the bar is so much harder for me than than any like elite powerlifter. I have you know just through struggling to put pounds on my total you know i've learned all these different things that somebody who is a natural might not necessarily know um you know just just getting better at the sport has been a struggle for me so i've i've had to learn and adapt and just learn about all these different things that might that somebody who is great at the sport might not necessarily know um so i i absolutely don't think that your your coach uh, should outlift you. It's great if they do, you know, that's, that's awesome. That means that they have the experience side of things. And again, not that I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I obviously have done the thing. Um, but I, I don't think I would almost prefer that my coach didn't outlift me. Um, because I know that, you know, if they're even remotely strong, let, let me put it this way, as long as they've progressed over the course of their powerlifting career, they've probably done it in such a way where, they've had to learn a lot more than I probably do mm-hmm. and uh, have put kilos on their total as a result of learning things that I might not necessarily know. So, uh, no, I, I don't I don't agree with that, that statement. Yeah, and uh, again, it came through an Instagram conversation. I, of course, don't believe that at all because, and you didn't want to make the analogy, I only make analogies to professional sports because that's how far my brain goes. But, um you look at great players, like excellent, thriving players who were just bad coaches. Yeah. Who were just, and it was because of that. They don't really know what it feels like to be that player just looking to get on the team. That player just trying to contribute. They were the star player. Of course, maybe they were the captain, but the captain, they were the captain because based on their performance, that was the reason why the team was performing well. And uh, an example I could use, uh, uh, Ted Williams, um, one, the, in my opinion, the best hitter of all time, the best pure hitter of all time, tried coaching, was decent at it, but his problem was he couldn't teach people how to hit because he was frustrated that they couldn't do the things that he could do. He wanted, he's like, why? He's like, I was able to do this. I was able to hit a 98-mile-per-hour fastball in on my knees and hit a home run. It's like, dude, we're not Ted Williams. <laughs> Like, do you realize you're the only person who could do that? And he didn't He didn't get it. He just really didn't understand. He just quit coaching. And it happens with a lot of people. They just don't understand that. And, yeah, I yeah, and I agree for just so much, uh, like, a variety of reasons. Also along with just the, just the exercise science background that is, you, you don't even, I, I actually would sometimes would take it one step further. I don't think you really need to lift weights in order to really tell people what, happens when you utilize proper programming techniques um i got into an argument with this with my friend back when i was 19 when i first watched a lane norton video was he didn't know who lane norton was and i barely knew who lane norton was and i was telling him all these like he how he was debunking myths about nutrition and he's like well how does he look good he's pretty jacked (laughs) i don't i'm like i didn't like he's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he's fucking you know pretty jacked. He's like, well, you know, if he's just some fat fuck, I don't want to listen to him. You know, I'm like, well, dude, uh, he's he he's a doctor. He went to school for these things. He dedicated his entire life to this knowledge, and you're just gonna neglect it because he's overweight. 
Like what what are we what are we doing here? What are we talking about? It's like you're you will take nutrition advice from me because I kinda have abs. It's really bad way of that's a really terrible way of going about anything. Yeah, man. It's it just seems to be in in fitness like in the fitness crowd like bodybuilding even even like uh, I don't know CrossFit and and powerlifting especially it just seems to be that the the number one uh, authority in terms of what makes somebody pick a coach is is strength mm-hmm. um, it's it's not everything but it it definitely draws people to you when you are super duper strong they they seem there seems to be this analogy that it's just like oh you're very strong therefore you can make me very strong and that's that's not necessarily true and i mean i do i definitely think there are some great exceptions to the rule uh you just had matt on he's he's extremely strong very knowledgeable guy yeah uh i he he puts up a lot of great content that i will regularly tune into um bryce is is a, a very good coach actually did eric helms used to coach bryce he still does he still does. Yeah, so, I mean, that's another example that – I didn't know that until Nationals, my friend Mike told me. And I was yeah. like, holy – I'm like, I respected Eric Helms so much before, yeah. and I didn't even know that. Now I have this, this whole other level of respect because Bryce is a fucking legend. Yeah, and the cool thing is that Eric has been Bryce's coach since day one. Yeah, and that, that's what he told me. He's like, do you know that Eric Helms, like, that was his first coach? I was like, get the fuck out. I had no clue. It's it's really it's really really cool because uh, you you know I I have never really gotten to experience something like that yet but um, to to work with somebody from when they're at like day zero and see them all the way to an IPF World Championship like that's mm-hmm. that's pretty damn cool yeah um, so that's yeah that's that's something um, fortunately I was I was able to experience my first ever having somebody win an IPF World Championship this past summer. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lifter from, from Great Britain, uh, Grill. Uh, he won sub-junior 93s. Uh, and that was really cool because I did get to kind of see him go from like a, an intermediate-ish lifter to winning national championships and ultimately making it to Worlds. But it's a whole other thing when you get to like start with somebody and they're just, you know, they're, they're brand new. Uh, they're they're kind of figuring their way out in the sport, and then getting to that level, like it it's, it really happens because you see this a lot. A lot of people tend to coach jump a whole lot, mm-hmm. um, so you don't really you don't really see that a whole lot these days. But it was I'm I'm sure, it, like it was probably one of Eric's, pro- not to speak for him, of course, but I'm sure it was one of his proudest moments as a coach. Yeah, and I would. I would take a safe bet that it was because just coaching someone, yeah, to an IPF World Championship is incredible, and yeah, and especially as someone who's has a pretty big legacy in the sport as well because not only an IPF World Champion but also sharing knowledge where another other lifters are thriving because of that person. That's very true. Yeah. All right. So we did this last week with Matt. Probably every coach. I'm probably gonna ask this now. What is the most frustrating you thing you see other coaches do? Most frustrating thing. Um, I would say take things from other coaches that they don't necessarily know how to do correctly and give it to their own lifters. Mm. Um, so you'll see this in the form of cueing. Um, you'll see this in the form of like different exercises. Um, you'll see this in the way that people program. Um, it, it's it's one thing to to just 
we were kind of over this before, but it's one thing to just copy something and, and just give it to somebody and be like, you know, go ahead. Um, but to, to actually learn it, you have to be able to work on it and, and actually understand it before giving it out to somebody else. And I, I think that a lot of people tend to skip that step. Um, I think that, I don't know, the, the most frustrating thing that I see these days is probably, um, have you, you ever heard of the, the PRI concept? Postural Restoration Institute. No. Okay, so it's it's a lot of different. Um, it's it's a school of thought where um, just a lot of things. And I'll be honest, I don't really understand it as much myself, uh, which is why I don't give it to my athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just a, a lot of it is is breathing exercises. Um, you'll see a lot of people um, sitting around with like something in between their legs uh, on the ground in like a ninety ninety position. Um, and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll just, they'll prescribe these exercises and they'll tell their athletes how to do them, but they don't necessarily know what it's for and what it does and the philosophy behind it. Um, and I, I just see, I see tons of these lifters, I see tons of lifters doing it, tons of young lifters especially doing it in like the warm-up room at nationals or just, just all around the country. And it's just like, have you ever once like asked your coach, what is this for? What does it actually do? And if you ask a lot of them, because I, I have, they, they can't tell you. Mm. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the most frustrating thing that I see. It's just, it's really, it's really, really annoying to me to just see all these people who have done like one meet and then are offering coaching. Well, that's actually, that's probably the second most annoying thing. Um, but to see those types of coaches just prescribing all this stuff that they just don't understand themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's one thing like like I, that doesn't mean again that you can't take something from the the people that you're being coached by. That's fine, but just make sure you know and understand why you would give it to an athlete. Yeah, and I think a lot of, of like athletes have to understand that too. While they're just self coaching for a while, because a lot of people would ask me why I do certain things and or why I don't do other things. Like I don't understand why people. I really don't understand why people use a safety bar squat. I never understood that, so I use it very rarely. The person who told me why to, the the correct way to use it and why you would use it is Joe Sullivan. Like I, I had no idea. And same thing with well, why don't you do? Why don't you ever do like a low bar squat? I'm like, I don't know how that's gonna help me. If I'm if I don't know how something's gonna help me, I'm not gonna do it. It just might lead me to get hurt or just developed an imbalance that I don't want. So. I think a lot of people who are self-coached are guilty of that as too. They see something cool on the Instagrams, and they think that it's going to work for them, just like it works for Garrett Fear or something. Yep, yep. That's yeah. That's exactly it. Uh, yeah. And it's so yeah. That's that's a little bit frustrating to see for sure. Yeah. All right. And athletes going off program, is that as common as memes make it out to be? Uh, I would say. I, I really haven't had – I can't really think of a single athlete that really went off program. Maybe Ricky with some of his singles in his recent prep since we're, we're giving him shit. Um, <laughs> but never never anything crazy. Um, and honestly, like there have been times where an athlete has kind of come to me and been like, hey, I feel really good today. You know, do you think we could go a little bit heavier than what we planned? Mm-hmm. That's fine. You know, it's, it's, you gotta, that's another thing with the, you know, being a coach, you have to be able to have a little bit of flexibility just because you write something down doesn't mean it's the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if you, if you're just into powerlifting and just kind of 
on this on the the social media waves or just talk with other lifters you would assume that just everyone one right maxes and no one follows programs that the coach gives them and i've realized i don't think i've ever seen that before i've never seen a person getting coaching and hit a one right max especially like a person like me i'm not hitting one right max ever because i really don't like one right maxing as much as i like just doing things in the gym unless it's an amazing one right max where i feel nothing um but yeah i haven't haven't seen this often so when i see memes like just constant like of all these athletes going off of um program like how much of that is actually true and how much is like a hacky hack like a hack joke because i i take memes extremely seriously obviously and yeah the uh like when those when you get like hack memes like what the like this doesn't happen none of this happens yeah you're just making the joke because someone else made the joke once yeah exactly um in, in all reality, like the closest thing to that that I'll regularly see with athletes is they might just have a day where they, you know, they overshoot their RP a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's just because, you know, they're, the set that they took before moved really well and they, you know, they, they, you know, actually gave it some good thought and were like, okay, this, this is probably the load for me. And then, you know, something, something was a little bit awry that day and it happens. You know, that's part of the learning process. That's part of knowing how to actually select the right loads on the day. Um, and I think if you, you know, it's just like, it's just like with, uh, with those athletes that everything came naturally to, like, mm-hmm. if you don't know, if you don't know how to do it correctly, then you'll never learn. Yep. Yeah, for sure. All right. So last segment, I introduced this segment when you, you came on the show. So it's only appropriate. I do with you as well. Word sure. association. Going to give you a word. First word that comes to mind. And we start off easy, and we progressively get harder. So, let's do it. Squat. Horrible. Is it because of your knees? Yes, and also because I have terrible butt weight that I can't get rid of. Yeah, I'm. And I, I've said it a thousand times on the show. I am always, always shitting myself on squat, no matter what. No matter what. If you ever see me in the warm up area. I am a nervous wreck for squats in particular. My my very first squat. Once I hit that first squat, I'm good. But yeah, I yeah. Uh, Jamar uh, Pancake God, he told me that after my meetings. Like I was watching on YouTube, and I was telling everyone in the room, like this motherfucker is stressed right now. <laughs> he's like he is stressed. I can see it, but he's gonna be fine. But yeah, yeah that's Yeah, squats. Squats and I just don't have a great relationship. Like. I don't know. It was cool squatting 500 for the first time, but like, I don't know. Until, until I can just you know do squats. That, that's that's the thing about squats. They've never been automatic for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. How about bench? Arch. Hmm. Yeah, I got to work on that. <laughs> I thought I thought just putting a little arch in your lower back was an arch. That's how that's how that's how ignorant I kind of was for a while. It technically is. My, my favorite is when people are like, oh, my, my thoracic mobility is terrible. I need to work on that to get my my arch up. And then if you look at the actual anatomy of it, most of people's arches just comes from the low back. Mm. Uh, unless you have like a crazy flexible T-spine like Sean, which let's be honest, a lot of that is genetic. Most yeah. people are not going to be able to do that. Yeah, when Sean was on the show, he told 
he told me, he's like, we, I could only get like one or two of my athletes to do the things that I do. It's like, I'm not, people think that he get coaching under Sean. He's going to tell you to have this sick, amazing arch. It's like, no, man. He's like, that's really hard to do. It's not easy. Yeah. Um, I do think, I do think that most people, um, do not as like, they don't arch as well as they actually could because they don't understand how to do it. Correctly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's well, the, the cues that I've gotten in our short coaching that I've got was like, Oh, like sitting up on my traps. Didn't know that was a thing. I was not trying to do that throughout my entire powerlifting career. Immediately when I did, I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. It's like it's not super uncomfortable, and it it makes sense why you do that. Like, yeah. I, so my arch just wasn't really an arch for a while, or what I thought what an arch should be. All right, yeah. deadlift. The best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I play fuck Mary kill on the show a lot, and Mar- I marry deadlift a whole lot, and most oh, guests yeah. marry deadlift, or at least fuck it. No one marries bench or fucks bench. <laughs> it's I usually actually, a battle between squat and deadlift. I, I actually, I would, I would probably, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably kill bench. I'd probably see. Fuck squat, you just deadlift. said you just said yeah, you just said horrible squat. You said bench arch, but yet you would still kill it. You know why? And it's because it's because squat. Just like when I actually like have a good squat day, it just it just puts me in such a good mood. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, you but are starting yes. to make me like bench a little bit more though. Oh wow! Just Damn, that's a, just that's going a, into the gym. Yeah, just going into the gym, thinking about like, okay, let's see what we can do today. Let's see all the cues I can utilize. That's that is one of the great things about coaching too. Is like this. The spark for powerlifting for something you already love, but then you have this other love of like, oh, I get to do this today and I've never done it before, so let's see how this moves and see if it improves. So just the journey of it is is awesome. Yeah, man, that's that's a that's the right mentality to have too. Like a lot of people are, are always weary when you give them something new uh, that they need to change. Uh, but if you can look at it as a way like, this is my chance to improve, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're always going to do better than if you're like, oh, I don't know about changing this, that kind of thing. Yeah. All right. USAPL. Original. Original? It's because that's where I started competing. Okay. That's, that's the only place that I've been competing. Okay. All right, I thought, like, it's, like, they're original with their content or whatever. Or, like, they're original how they do things. That's what I thought you were going with that. No, like, that's – I don't know. It's just, like, that was that was the first place that I competed. So okay. it's just, like, it's it's the original. It's the it's the place where I started. All right. Okay, that makes sense. All right, uh, USPA. California. Yeah, that, I mean, out here in Cali, like – the USBA is just like it's it's everywhere. Hmm. Um, there are just not as many. I'm you know being on the East Coast, I'm just so used to like USA powerlifting everything. All the meets out there are USA powerlifting, but out here like there are so few and far between. I mean, I think the the meet that um, Ember and I hosted at, at Convoy last February was one of maybe maybe three going on at the state uh, at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's this is California we're talking about. It's huge. Oh but yeah. If you, if you look at the USPA calendar, there's like, and, and I'm talking within like within a, a three month radius. But if you look at the USPA calendar, there's one like every weekend. Yeah, and I, I guess you could say the same thing about Illinois. Illinois is not a friendly place for USAPL. Oh really? Yeah, we have a 
a handful of USAPL meets, but you can easily find yourself in a good um, in a good USPA or APF meet. That's why I got involved in APF. They have a huge local presence. Because gotcha. APF had, you know, five or six local meets. And when I say local meets, they're close to my house and all that kind of stuff where I don't have to travel too far. USPA, similar, now with the meet director um, in Illinois. We're getting more USPA meets. But USAPL, two Damn. two or three meets, um, both in downtown Chicago. Nice. Well, so, I mean, at least you have some, man. Oh, yeah. And we definitely had some and enough to get me into it, so... All right, that's yeah, that's a pretty cool answer. All right, Yangsu. Uh, Yu Yu comes to mind. His, his the, nobody, everybody calls him Yangsu, but his his preferred name is is Yu Yu. I love the name Yangsu. I'm sorry if that's like his preferred name, but that's such a cool name. <laughs> it it is kind of a cool name. Um. I don't know. The, the secondary word that comes to mind is deadlift, but yeah. I mean, like everybody, everybody thinks of him as, as the deadlifter. Um, I don't know. I think he's actually gonna. I think he's actually gonna squat something nice soon too. His technique's been been changing in a in a very nice way. Um, yeah, excited to see that. All right, other guests at two white lights. Ricky, nice guy, just super nice. Yeah, he's um, fucking awesome. I feel like I feel like with all of his like internet drama and stuff, uh, a lot of people just dislike him. But I mean, it's I don't I don't know I, I don't I think it's very unfounded. If you actually sit down and you talk to Ricky, he's just one of the the nicest dudes. He's super humble, but he like he does all that because he thinks it's funny. Um, and maybe it, I'm sure he'll he'll tell you this, but I think it, it's maybe a little bit for the the Instagram clout too. Um, God, I feel, I feel old because I feel disgusted saying the word clout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try not to say it as much as I can, but now that's the word for it. And I wouldn't have to say it if so many lifters didn't intentionally look for clout. Yeah. Clout is only good when it's an accidental thing. Yeah. When you're really mean, trying hard for it, we could smell it. Yeah. And I mean, with Ricky, like, there's there's a method behind his, his madness with that. Like, he really, um, he was telling me one of his big reasons that he wants to improve his following is so that he, uh, the charity event that he does every year where um, he sells he sells t-shirts where he can, so he can make more money for charity. Yeah. And I think that that's great. And, and that's, like I said, another example of him just being a great guy. Oh, yeah, for sure. I actually didn't know that, and that's pretty admirable. But I, and I always say making money on Instagram is not a bad thing. Making money through your likeness is not a bad thing. Just... Sure. When it's that occasional, and I'm not, I'm not even saying Ricky's a guilty of this. I'm saying other lifters. Sure. When it's that like obvious that you're trying to do it, it's a little cringy sometimes. But yeah, we have to use the word clout. Like he can't use any other word now. Yeah, it's like the word true. moist. How I can't I can't not describe a cake by using moist. Yeah. I hate it. But I I have to describe that cake as being moist. It's just and it, and it sucks. All right. <laughs> Yeah, those are those are two white lights guests, so I had to bring them up. All right, next one, anime. <laughs> anime, oh god, uh, fun, uh, dude. I've been watching anime since I was young. Uh, started with with well, actually with Yu Gi Oh back in the day. Uh, that was one. That was one of my one of my big hobbies was was playing the Yu Gi Oh trading card game. But I only got into that because I watched the anime back in the day, mm. and then of course I was exposed to Dragon Ball Z. And I mean, like, 
you know. Are you a USAPL lifter if you don't love Dragon Ball Z? So. I, no, no, you actually aren't. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. You have to, <laughs> you have to <laughs> lift in another federation. Yeah, I I think I might be the only USAPL lifter who just never got an anime. What? I, I don't get, like, when just sitting around, like, at a table, like, having dinner, like, having lunch with USAPL lifters, like, at Nationals, that... And then they start doing these references, like, oh, God, here we go. I'm going to be just the guy nodding off, like, I don't, I have literally no clue you guys are talking about. Literally no clue. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to, so I don't want to be that guy, but after, after 2017, no, no, at 2017 Raw Nationals, I wrote the words, uh, plus ultra on my squat shoes, so that every time I go to unrack the bar, I look down and I see that, and that that's an anime reference. That's from My Hero Academia. But I, okay. I think it's really cool because that means uh, plus ultra means go beyond, which I think is a great mantra. Plus ultra, I don't even know what it means, but it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, it's Latin. It's Latin yeah. for go beyond. Yeah, like plus it just it just sounds cool. Like I like if you if you were just say like plus ultra like plus ultra shoes, like just as a brand, sound pretty great. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna copyright that right now and start making some squat shoes. I'll edit that out so no one gets the idea. But Perfect. yeah, Perfect. Pl- yeah, plus ultra sounds pretty. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, anime. I, like my girlfriend tried to get me to watch Avatar. I was hesitant for it. The Last Airbender. Yeah. The, really? You you couldn't get into Avatar: The Last Airbender. I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. Like when she she was really really getting me to watch it like, hounding me to watch, I'm like, I don't, I grew up and really didn't like it, because I was exposed to, like, this, like, there's a Pulp Fiction poster right here, that was, like, my favorite movie in the third grade, like, I liked Rocky, I liked Bloodsport, I liked wrestling on TV, I was exposed to, because I was, like, one of five, and I was the second youngest, so they weren't gonna start censoring things for me, it was over. Days of yeah. censoring are done. My older brother and sister, who were like cool '90s kids, like we're not, we're not gonna put them upstairs for when we watch TV. My mom's gone. It was a single parent household for the most of my life. Gotcha. I'm gonna watch the shit. So when like when I saw anime, I'm like, they're not saying fuck as much as I would like. <laughs> they're not. They're not like. There's they're not a lot of blood going on here. I just I just watched someone get thrown through off of a 15 foot cell onto a table like i that's my it like corrupted my youth you should check out some of the some of the uh, current anim- animes man they're they're a lot they're a lot more along the lines of what you just described yeah you yeah my, my again my girlfriend is trying to get me to watch him but avatar like there's enjoyable parts of it where i'm like oh this is cool but just not enough for me to watch a tv show like i like i like game of thrones like i love game of thrones i'm a nerd when it comes to game of thrones Oh, dude, Game of Thrones. Wow, that ending. Uh, nah, I don't want to talk about nah, that shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't think I've, I don't think I've had a rant on Game of Thrones. I'm going to save the listeners. Yeah, that's a that's something. Yeah, oh. I don't, yeah, yeah that, um, that, that disappointed my fandom for something. Because Matt Cronin, big big Star Wars guy, I was talking to him about... Yeah. He was talking about Star Wars, and I, always, I never understood that shit. And then I watched Game of Thrones, I'm like, oh... I get it now. I get yeah. why people dress up like things. I get it. I understand. Like I, I, and and then they ruined it because they just fucked up the entire 
last season for me. So yeah, that was that was so god. Uh, I I won't even get into that too because that's that was yeah that was really disappointing. I, I mean, you know, you don't you don't date a, a girl whose whose Instagram handle was Swolisi for the longest time and, and not like Game of Thrones. Gonna be totally honest, did not know that was your girlfriend until like a week ago. Nope, didn't know that. <laughs> had no clue. Man, uh, and I saw her, you posted on your story. I'm like, that's uh, Swalisi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, you uh, you introduced us. That is awesome. That yeah, is. That's cool. Reason. Yeah. Uh, so that's really cool. Yeah. And now uh, this March, we'll have been dating for two years. Oh, that's cool. Very cool. Yeah. That's like one of the lifters my, I think my girlfriend got wind of too because she just went viral. For such a like a quick time, she's like, "Is this a girl powerlifter?" I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, do you know her? I'm like, "No." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I know her through." Instagram. I'm like, "I don't know her personally." If that's what you're asking, like, oh, okay. It's like, I think she's awesome. I'm like, okay, cool. She is. Yep. So, cosplay. Uh, new. Uh, I'm I'm actually not super. I, I haven't done cosplay a whole lot. Um, I've only I've only done it twice so far. Um, but that's something that Amber actually got me into. Um, she's she's pretty big into it. Um, but we we actually um, for Comic Con decided to cosplay as characters from Apex Legends, which is the video game that we really like. Um, it's fun, man. It's I don't know. As a kid, I kind of dressed up a lot, just like you know, playing like you know, I was a knight sometimes. I was Batman a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, being able. It's basically like being able to to play like adult pretend. Um, you, uh, you, I don't know, you, you, it's challenging because you, like, there's, in the community, you have to, like, it, it's just kind of a thing you really want to make your costume. A, a lot of people okay. will, they'll, you know, they'll buy, they'll buy costumes, and that's kind of, like, looked down on. Um, some people that doesn't, or some, a person that doesn't necessarily have um, a super well-made costume, but, you know, clearly put a lot of effort into it, and, uh They'll, they'll usually get a little bit more respect amongst cosplayers than somebody that went and bought, like, a super good-looking costume. Mm. Yeah, um, I can respect that. Yeah, so it's it's fun. Uh, I, I'm hoping to do it a little bit more this year. Uh, there's a lot of conventions that are going to be in San Diego this year, including, of course, Comic-Con, which is here every year. I, unfortunately, did not get a badge because they sold out in, like, two minutes. So. Yeah, I... Yeah, something, again, I never really got into... But I get, like, making your own costume. Because Halloween, I just always go in my closet. I'm like, what's a celebrity I kind of look like? And just nice. go based off that. Every every costume every year is just one article of clothing that I might buy. And then that's it. Then I just redo my face or hair to make me look like that person. So. Nice. Video games. Oh, fun, man. I, uh... <laughs> I got, um, when I was younger, I played, uh, Halo, uh, I, I wouldn't say professionally, but, like, I, I played it competitively. Okay. Um, so I, I played, uh, with a team of guys, uh, we would go to tournaments, um, and we would, my, actually, my first time going to Columbus wasn't for the Arnold, it was, it was for a, a tournament, so we played with, uh, with Major League Gaming, um, and, I don't know, I just kind of always loved video games, even though my mom when I was younger, really would not let me play a whole lot of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mentioned I mentioned that before, but uh, Amber and I are very into Apex Legends right now, which is uh, like a battle royale shooter for those that don't know. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, uh, 
I don't know. It's it's a nice it's it's nice for me because it's a hobby that I have that isn't powerlifting related. Um, and uh, I don't know. It could be it could be fun to just you know get some get some stress out, just have some fun. Unless it unless it's one of those nights where I just can't aim, which happens a lot, and then then it's just another source of stress. Yeah, I used to think I loved video games until like my brother told me that I don't really like video games and gamers maybe because. Like, I would play super basic video games, like uh, sports games or, like, Call of Duty. Like, I loved... The one game that I did think I was a super nerd about was Grand Theft Auto. Oh, dude. Classic. Yeah, Love. like, my... I had to sneak to play that game. What's my, that? My parents... My, I, had to, I had to be sneaky to play that game because my parents were like, no way. Do you know... This is... All right, so this is actually a pretty funny story. So, for my... It was my 10th birthday when Grand Theft Auto 3 came out. 10th or 11th and i really didn't you know want the game or anything i wasn't like thinking about it um but then my friends started talking about it and i hung out with like a lot of older kids on the bus and they were like in eighth grade so they were just like saying all like you know they're you know shooting prostitutes and it's like there's a mafia connection i'm like what the fuck i'm like and i was in like third or fourth grade i'm like this sounds crazy so i came home my birthday my brother comes home and he has Grand Theft Auto 3. And he he has it. I'm like, oh my god, is that my gift? He's like, no. You're not playing this game. I'm like, oh, okay. So I eventually start sneaking and playing it. And then I asked for Grand Theft Auto Vice City for Christmas. Right. The next year. And then my mom got it. He didn't know what it was. I was so excited to play this game. I was like looking at I was I was just looking at like the game informer like the, right. the magazine just kept on looking at it and then i got it for christmas and my brother came he's like this is rated m you're not playing this game and i was i was bummed i waited until i think april for a chance to play the game because i was scared of my brother i wouldn't like fuck with my brother gotcha. he brought all of his friends over and he's like 21 years old he brought all of his friends over they were playing it so they got to play the game before me and I was Damn. looking, and then there were he, my friends, his friends were like, "Here, do you want to play?" And I'm like, "I'm not allowed." And then Aldo's like, "Isn't this your game?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like, "Yeah, you can play." I'm like, "You told me not to play it since Christmas." He's like, "Oh no, I forgot I said that. I was just being a t- <laughs> He's like, "He's like, oh yeah, I did it. I was just messing around." I'm like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, "I waited this long to play this game." So yeah, that's my Grand Theft Auto story. I love that game. I love that franchise. I'm I'm the oldest of uh, of six, so I've never had that problem. Yeah, I, and it was weird things like that because I got away with a lot as a kid because like there was just so much to govern in my family that I just got away with a shit ton of things. But I, yeah, Grand Theft Auto. I bought every single thing, and that is something I am kind of a nerd about. But apparently, like all the other gamer games, I'm not really into that doesn't make me a true gamer which is fine i'll live i i mean i think i think if you play games you're a gamer you don't have to be like you don't have to be the most like you don't have to play like the most like indie title whatever to to be a gamer like if you if you enjoy playing a game and you do it pretty regularly then i I think that makes you a gamer okay all right um superhero Ooh, batman batman so does that make you a dc guy or marvel guy Oh God, um, jeez. I, I mean, I kind of I grew up with the DC characters. Uh, that was kind of what I I got the most of. Um, but 
I mean, let's face it, the, the DC movies are not good. <laughs> no, they're not. No. Unless uh, you count, you... like, the Christopher Nolan Batmans. Or not the, uh... Yeah, yeah the Christopher because... Nolan Batmans. Those are... Those are so much better than the Marvel movies. Yeah, it's it's very it's very grounded in reality, and I, I enjoy that, especially for Batman, because uh, it almost makes you think like, oh, I could be Batman. Like yeah. when I was younger, uh, when I was in first grade, I was like, I'm gonna grow up and be Batman. Like I was I was gonna become a policeman, like on the like on, on the daytime, so I would know about everything, and then I was gonna be Batman at night, and that was gonna be my job. Yeah, um, and then they had guys like Commissioner Gordon that you could relate to. Right, like right. you could you could you say oh commissioner gordon badass not a superhero yeah. but a badass right um and yeah so i i don't know man like i the the whole infinity saga with with marvel like was fantastic like linking all those movies together was great it, it really it really put together something that i just it was so cool to think back to like when i went to go see iron man as a kid and mm-hmm. then watching um watching infinity war was just like mind-boggling yeah um it, it was so cool but yeah the the dc animated movies however are fantastic they do such a good job with those um that's another yeah, thing my I, girlfriend's trying to get me to watch the dc animated movies mm-hmm. you honestly give them give them a shot a lot of them are actually uh even though they're cart even though they're cartoons a lot of them are actually like like there's a lot of like blood and, well and... that's what she told me like the joker because I'm the cliche. Joker's my favorite character. Like that's, yeah. so, and she's like the way they depict Joker's in different ways, and how like if you think like Heath Ledger's Joker's diabolical, but like if you watch some of those DC movies, he's oh, yes. even he's way more diabolical. Like so unhinged. Like oh that's pretty cool. And then yeah, yeah I always I I get actually another video game Batman Arkham Asylum. Oh yeah. That oh, was one thing that got me deep into Batman for like. A good two years when I was in college. Oh yeah, man, and that's with um. Oh my God, why I, uh, I can't think of his name. Uh, it's the same guy who does the, who does the voice for all the Batman uh, animated movies and and cartoons. Is it Hamill? No, that's the well, that's the Joker. And I was gonna say like Mark Hamill is my favorite Joker mm-hmm. because he's just he's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, he's he's just so good at it. Why can't I think of his name? Oh, I I used to know it, but he, it's the same guy who does Batman's voice for all. Like he does it for all the DC animated stuff, and he did it for I think most of the Arkham games. Um, but he it's just like he's Batman. He, yeah. he's Batman to me, uh, more so than anybody else. Like I grew up watching Batman the animated series. I had actually the reason that I like the color purple, like I mentioned before. Uh, my mom made me this cape when I was like real real little, like one. Uh, and I wanted to be Batman, but she didn't have any black fabric, so she made it out of purple fabric, and I wore it everywhere. That's pretty awesome, uh, still. Yeah, so I, I wear I wear as much purple as I can on the platform because of that, because it just I don't know, it just makes me feel super nice. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we've been talking for a really long time. Yeah, this will be a long episode, man. It will. So people listening, I'm probably gonna put the beginning episode, split it up, one hour here, forty minutes here, but. It was awesome having you on. Thank you for coming on, dude. Hey, appreciate it, man. I, it, thank you for having me. No problem, man. Of course, we'll have you on again. Um, terrific guest, terrific interview, and uh, thank you for coaching me. <laughs> no worries, man. Thank you for thank you for picking me. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I think that you have a lot of a lot of natural talent that we 
are hopefully going to, to tap into deeper levels of as we continue to work together, man. And, uh, I'm excited for the Arnold. I'm glad we got in. Thank you to your girlfriend and her typing skills. Yep. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we can do an episode after the Arnold. Maybe like recap it. Uh, I can. I don't know. Maybe I can be on and you. I can. Maybe we could reverse the roles and I can talk to you about your experience a little bit or something like that. Oh, absolutely. That'd be awesome. And yeah, the Arnold is going to be a great week for a wide variety of reasons. Excited to compete, but also you know have some ideas for two white lights too going into the Arnold because. You know, big weekend, good powerlifters, good personalities going to be there. So be on the lookout for that. Won't be like the Arnold last year where we just recorded a show because I didn't know anyone and I had no idea what to do with the podcast. So, gotcha. Yeah, but again, uh, thank you for coming on. Have you on again and enjoy the rest of your night, dude. Thanks, man. Peace.